Hello, hello. Welcome back to Loki's Librarian. If you are new here, welcome. This is, oh, I am your librarian, Katrina. Hmm, forgot, half my, forgot my name there for a second. Uh, this is where I am reading through the enormous library books that you see behind me, and then I give you a quick synopsis and I tell you what I think about them. So if you like books and just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos, and let me know what you think in the comments. It is a brand new year, and to ring in the new year, I am rereading one of my favorite books by my favorite science fiction author, Robert A. Heinlein, making this week's book of the week, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. The accompanying cocktail is called Moon Glow, which is one ounce of gin, one ounce of yellow chartreuse, a half ounce of dry vermouth, and a half ounce of lime cordial. So let's do this. I picked this book for two reasons. Okay. Actually, I picked it for one reason, um, but it became two like a week and a half ago, something like that. And I'll get to part two at the end of the review. The main reason I picked or went with this Heinlein story is this quote from Heinlein. If a person names as his three favorite of my books, Stranger, Harsh Mistress, and Starship Troopers, then I believe he has grokked what I meant. But if he likes one, but not the other two, I am certain that he has misunderstood me. He has picked out points and misunderstood what he picked. If he picks two of the three, then there is hope. One of three, no hope. All three books are on one subject, freedom and self-responsibility. Now, I've actually only read two of the three, um, Harsh Mistress and Starship Troopers. I, I will be reading all three this year, or reread the two that I have read and, and pick up the third and see if I can grok what he meant. I'm pretty sure I'm on the right track, though, because I love both Starship Troopers and Harsh Mistress. So, let me see, one ounce. Okay, one ounce. So, our story starts and ends with Manuel Garcia O'Kelly Davis, a freeborn son of Luna. And the distinction is important because the moon was colonized as a prison planet in 1976. So it's now 2076, it's been 100 years, and while convicts are still imported to the moon as essentially slave labor for the uh, authority down on Earth, the trips to the moon are a one-way deal, all right? Gravity, you see, it's less on the moon, so the body that gets used to functioning in zero gravity becomes unable to function at Earth normal gravity. Um, it's essentially a one-way trip, and if you're born on the moon, it's you can go to Earth, but it's very difficult and only with government approval. Um, in order to do so safely, you have to have regular time in a government-controlled centrifuge. And I guess how often former convicts or Luna born, for that matter, are authorized to use a government-controlled centrifuge. It's not zero because um, Manuel has been to Earth before, and, and part of that was because he had to be retrained as a computer man when his he experienced an accident at his day job, which left him bereft of an arm. And so they retrained him as a computer man, gave him a couple of fake arms, and away he went. He was he became basically the premier computer guy on Luna at that point. Now, because he was freeborn, they could not force him to work for the Authority, but the Authority could contract with him, and he charged them a very pretty penny to do exactly that. So, and, and he enjoys it, right? He's a loony. They enjoy getting one over on the Lunar Authority. He does not work directly for the Authority, but he'll work on contract, and he gets called in to fix a computer glitch in the central computer that issued a paycheck in the amount of $10 million billion to a worker. I mean, the worker was not stupid, knew that could never be cash, so he reported it immediately, was issued a check in the correct amount, but Manny's called in to figure out why the hell this computer issued a check for $1 million billion, $10 million billion, plus plus one fifty-eight eighteen, which was the actual wages the guy was owed. So, <laughs> 
The central computer operates all of the automation on the moon. It operates life support, transport, communications, payroll, and it's the smartest computer. Right? It's actually a fully developed artificial intelligence. Um, Heinlein was cyberpunk before that was even a genre. Hello, Heinlein. Pretty, pretty cocktail. So in talking to Mike, short for Mycroft, the computer's name, Manuel realizes that Mike is so self-aware he's testing the concept of jokes. So $10 million billion was a joke for him. He thought that would be wickedly funny. And so Mike explained, or not Mike, uh, Manuel explained, yes, it's funny once, but you do it again and they're going to basically shut you down. So don't do that. And he also realizes there's immediate danger as Mike might decide to turn off the air in the tunnels as a joke to, to kind of test his theory of humor. So Manuel agrees to read through jokes that Mike has thought of or compiled and find other humans who can be friends with Mike. Mike is lonely. He's an artificial intelligence and there's exactly one person he can talk to, that being Manuel. That's gotta get pretty boring, right? I mean, anybody who you know actually did the whole isolation thing during COVID realizes how much it sucks to have just one person to talk to. I love my husband and actually I don't mind that I had just him for a while because I am an introvert by nature, but there's a lot of people out there whose relationships crumbled when they realized the only person they had to talk to was their significant other. What does that tell you about your picking ability? Let's shake this. Ooh. Now that night, Manuel goes to a political meetings. Uh, now political meetings as a general rule are ignored by the authority because I mean, what the hell are a bunch of convicts who can't survive in Earth's gravity going to do, right? I mean, they don't even have ships to get down to Earth. But for whatever reason, maybe because talk was getting too subversive for authorities' comfort, they decided to break up this political meeting. And on his way out, Manuel helps one of the rabble-rousers, uh, Wyoming Knot, to escape. She was one of the subversives the authority was particularly interested in shutting down. She was starting to have an impact. Um, she was also freeborn. She had been brought up to the moon as a child when her parents were convicts. So she, she was not a convict, but she couldn't stay on Earth because her parents were convicts. So she came up with her parents and was raised on the moon. Now, Manuel shortly decides that she has the intellect to be a not stupid and introduces her to Mike. And then they quickly loop in the other subversive authority wanted to shut down, which is Professor Bernardo de la Paz. Now, Prof is a transported convict. He was transported for subversive activities on Earth. Uh, much to Prof's amusement, the authority on Luna seems to see him as little more than a doddering old fool, but he was there. They knew he was there at the meeting, so they wanted him to. Now, this becomes really important. Just remember, kids, old age and treachery beats youth and beauty. Every time. Hmm. That's quite tasty. Now, between the three of them, Manuel, Wyo, and Prof, they have Mike run back the political meeting that had been broken up, as well as all variables for revolutionary possibilities. And Mike returns a one in seven chance that they could win. Now, that may not sound like much, but when you live your whole life below ground, dependent on machines for the air you breathe, having to buy water from the government, well, loonies love a bet, and to a loony, one in seven are good odds. So they form the Committee to Free Luna with Mike at the head, because Mike can analyze all possibilities, all information as it's turned into him in an instant. There's no reason to have a committee when he can analyze the information that's coming in as it comes in and determine what their be next best course should be to win. And for Mike, it's basically just a giant chess game. While Prof and Manuel form the executive cell beneath Mike and then each of them form their own cells from there. And they start ramping up the pressure on Luna, like small acts of rebellion, letting the word of free Luna spread out, kind of like lapping waves with Mike helping out with random phone calls from nowhere to the warden's residence and kind of running the entire organization. And the warden plays his part perfectly 
albeit unknowingly, by panicking and demanding reinforcements which authority sends up. And this is what causes the revolution to truly launch. See, the biggest challenge for the population of Luna is that men outnumber women two to one. Polyandry is the norm, uh, with husbands happily cohabitating at the request of the wife, who pretty much holds all the cards. If one husband doesn't like it, there's always another lonely man who's ready and willing to step into his place. Manuel himself is part of a line family, which is composed of several wives and husbands, all living together in one big commune, essentially. Women run the commune as well. This is normal and standard, okay? Most importantly, there is no rape on Luna. Can't be. Because if any man gets too aggressive with a woman, there are plenty on standby ready to chuck the offender out the nearest airlock. Uh, in fact, the break that Free Luna needs occurs exactly as part of such a misunderstanding. Yeah, Stu Lejoie was a tourist up from Earth, and he inadvertently gets too handsy with a local young lady, and her tombs are ready to just chuck his ass out an airlock, but they want to do it legally. They know he is a tourist, and so they don't want to get in trouble with the Lunar Authority for, you know, destroying the tourist dollar by <laughs> starting chucking them out the airlocks. So, they... Now, there are no actual laws on Luna. There are guidelines laid out by the warden, but mostly the law, only law is, you know, don't be an asshole. But the young Siliagi, they, they lost faith in the righteousness of their cause, so they wanted to make sure they were in the right, and they wanted a trial before a judge. Now, no laws on Luna, so anybody can be a judge, all right, provided all the parties agreed to him being the judge. So the young group, including the young lady and Stu, agree that Manuel will do. He calls for a jury of six men who are immediately rounded up from the corridor outside. Like, there's no waiting. There's no attorneys. There's none of this. It's, it's this, these are the facts of the case. The jury will give their opinion, and the ultimate decision rests with the judge. So he calls for the six jurymen. They're rounded up, and it's determined basically that it was just a misunderstanding. Stu was a tourist. He was not familiar with Luna practices. Stu apologizes. They all go out for drinks, and Mike runs kind of an immediate background check on Stu and returns that he's exactly the kind of politically connected earthworm player that they need on the ground to help sway Earthside public opinion. He's wealthy. He's connected. And he's looking for a cause, which is even better. Now, shortly after Stu returns to Earth, those Dragoon reinforcements the warden call for rape and kill a young woman. Then they kill the woman who found the body of the young woman. And Luna rebelled. Spotting the moment for what it was, Free Luna took control and immediately established a new government. Now, this whole section, like when he's talking about how the government forms and the idiots that get involved with it, was some of the best political writing I mean, Highland absolutely captures the stupidity of Congress. It's, it's amazing. And Prof's absolutely masterful manipulation of the situation. And it's ultimately decided that after posting Luna's Declaration of Independence, it needs to be delivered in person to the Luna Authority. So Prof and Manuel have been preparing for this. They've been training with weight, sleeping with weighted blankets, doing everything they can to prep for Earth's gravity without actually using that centrifuge, which they didn't have available to them. Now, this part was also beautifully written and believable. It is so believable that the Federated Nations, who oversees the Luna Authority, would refuse to give up their installed slave labor. Right? Slave labor that's incapable of fighting back against their financial tyranny. More on that in a little bit. And actually presents Manuel with a paper on how exactly they plan to keep the boot on the throat of Luna. Then Manuel and Prof make their escape back to Luna with Stu Lejoie in tow. Which is needful. Stu's on the verge of bankruptcy and his soul and his sold heart and soul on the idea of free Luna. He he wants to be a loony. He's voluntarily giving up all of his wealth, all of his earthly goods back on Earth, 
to come to Luna and join the rebellion. Now, once they return to Luna, they use that paper to consolidate Luna's outrage and embargo shipments of food back to Earth. Um, this is how the Authority has kept control over Luna. Luna is used to grow crops to feed Earth's swelling populations. Grain from the free farmers is purchased by the Authority at grossly inflationary prices that keep the Luna farmers poor. So grain becomes the logical bargaining chip for Luna. They immediately enact an embargo and stop shipping grain Earthside, and they begin practicing for an invasion, because Mike guarantees this is going to happen. Lunar Authority, they will send up troops. They have to. They have to put down this insurrection. Um, and, and they do, all right? And, and this is important, because Luna can't be the one to actually strike the first blow, all right? So far, they're in the right. Um, the, the troops raped and murdered a young girl who was a free citizen of Luna. Not that they could have raped or murdered a prison inmate, but... That was also important. They killed another young woman who was also a free woman. So the rebellion at this point is justified, all right? And that's kind of the, the keys that the Stu has been using to sway people down on Earth is, hey, these are free people who are being assaulted by government agents. Earth does send troops, but they don't send it for a few months. So initially, when they're expecting this invasion to happen, they're dr drilling quite vigorously, but few months later they're not drilling as vigorously they're not as prepared and they're basically caught with their pants down when the invasion happens doesn't matter they still win with 100 percent casualties on the other side because of that zero gravity right uh, free luna had home field advantage basically that the troops were not prepared for how their bodies would react in zero g they have no way of training for zero g combat literally and so when they would fire, the recoil would have them shooting high, whereas the loonies who are used to zero gravity know exactly how to aim their weapons, and yes, they win. Okay. Now, once they have been invaded, Luna has the moral right on their side, and they begin lobbing rocks at Earth, like literally. The catapult that had been used to send grain shipments Earthside has been repurposed for throwing rocks. And with Mike at the helm, the targeting is 100% accurate. And because they're really trying not to kill people on Earth, they actually start, they, they send messages saying, hey, we're going to throw rocks at this location, clear people out. It's going to throw a dust cloud up in the air that's going to obscure crops and people can be hurt if they're there. And because humans are f***ing dumb, a lot of them go to those locations thinking, oh, there's no way the stupid loonies could actually throw a rock that accurately. And, you know, people die because they're stupid. You can't fix stupid. That's also accurate. People would so do that. Humans are dumb. Seriously, how do we become the dominant species on the planet when we don't have the good God sense to run away when we know something bad is happening? Eventually, Earth sends a ship to bomb the catapult. And Manuel waits for the self-congratulatory messages to go out about how the insurrection has been put down before lobbing the next volley with the backup catapult they had been begun building on way back when Warden was still in charge. Again, Mike was able to calculate all contingencies. It's a chess game to him. So he knew they would bomb the catapult. He knew they would need a backup catapult. So they did that. They started using that backup catapult. And since Earth can't locate that catapult to bomb it, and does not know if there's a second or third backup catapult, Earth's brought to the table and negotiates. But in acknowledging the win, Prof's heart gives out and he dies. And during Earth's last bombing run at Luna, something was damaged. 
something was damaged irreparably in Mike and he goes completely dormant or dies. Can a machine die? Every time I cry about that. You just get Mike, like just Heinlein injects so much humanity into Mike. It's like, the hero of the book is dead, damn it. The story's told from Edwell's perspective, but Mike's the hero and he dies. And that's one of the philosophical questions of the book, at least. Can a machine feel pain? Can a machine be so damaged that it never wakes again? My dogs, they want to come in and see why I'm crying. This book is brilliant on so many levels. Let's start with it was originally published in 1966, which is three years before we even banished land on the moon. Yet Highland saw that any colonization that occurred would have to be below the surface. Why? Radiation poisoning from the sun. There's no ozone layer on the moon to protect you from that radiation. Computers were just 20 years old, but he predicted their ability to control every aspect of an environment. Just check out your Google Home device. Your, your, you know, your Kindle devices, your, your, your Amazon devices, your, your Apple devices. They control every aspect of the environment. He predicted artificial intelligence, which programmers are still working towards. But it's really interesting that whenever they release an AI bot on Twitter, the AI bot eventually determines that humanity should probably cease to exist. Um, I think it's likely by 2076 it will exist. Luna was lucky that Mike was like a juvenile prankster. I remember he issued that check for 10, mil 10 million billion dollars. Mike didn't join the revolution for ideological reasons. He, he joined because his friends were revolutionaries, which incidentally is why most people will join a revolution. There are very few ideologues amongst revolution. Most of people join because their friends are joining. If the authority had figured out Mike's intelligence rather than Manuel, I mean, at best, the authority would have tightened down his programming protocols. And, and even as an AI, that would have been effective. Right? If they had just tightened down his programming protocols, he wouldn't have been able to do the things he did. At worst, they'd have used him to suppress Luna even longer. And he would have done it, not because he was mean, but because he wanted friends. So this book kind of brings to the forefront how human machines can be. And while I love Manuel and I love the book as narrated from his point of view, Professor de la Paz is the brilliant mind behind the revolution. And some of the most memorable quotes from the book are profs. Uh, quote, a rational anarchist believes that concepts such as state and society and government have no existence save as physically exemplified in the acts of the self-responsible individual. He believes that it is impossible to shift blame, share blame, or distribute blame, as blame, guilt, responsibilities are ma matters taking place inside a human being single and nowhere else. But being rational, he knows that not all individuals hold his evaluations, so he tries to live perfectly in an imperfect world. Heinlein predicted the stupidity of the far left with their idea of collective guilt and rejects it logically and methodically. All right. Humanity collectively is not guilty of anything. Individuals are guilty of their individual actions. There's this exchange between Prof and Wyo, and this one frequently makes the rounds uh, as a meme on the Heinlein page. Um, Dear lady, I will happily accept your rules, but you don't seem to want any rules. True, but I will accept any rules that you feel necessary to your freedom. I am free, no matter what rules surround me. If I find them tolerable, I tolerate them. If I find them too obnoxious, I break them. I am free because I know that I alone am morally responsible for everything I do. And a exchange between Prof and Manuel, this one was <laughs> particularly salient given the events of the last three years. Prof, did you see it in the news? Manuel, no. Prof, because it wasn't in the news, 
a managed democracy is a wonderful thing, Manuel, for the managers. And its great strength is a free press when free is defined as responsible and the managers define what is irresponsible. Think about that quote in context of the last three years and then go read the Twitter files that have been released. Uh, maybe Elon is the rational anarchist that we need. Maybe he's the Stulejois we need who, on our side to reveal the dark corruption that is going on in the government. God bless him. Keep him safe. Now to the second reason that I was keen to read this book this year is this post by Facebook guy, uh, David Gerald. I, he's not a friend of mine. It's just it got posted in one of the book groups that I follow. Um, but especially this line, quote, I think the moon is a harsh mistress is incomplete. The revolution was economically unnecessary, but politically important. He does not grok what Heinlein meant at all. The revolution was economically necessary. This is explained quite early on how lunar authority used economic inflation to make sure the loonies were economically inferior. All right, it's very much as the communists of Soviet Union used price controls on grain to ensure that the farmers were kept as second-class citizens. And this was after they drained the kulaks from the Ukraine. And it was definitely politically necessary as the right to self-determination is a political point the earth has spent the last 200 years making over and over and over again. Humans, it turns out, likes freedom. But what does one do once a state has achieved its independence? Uh, and that returns us to Heinlein's point. Freedom and self-reliability are key to life. Freedom to pursue what brings you happiness and fulfillment. Self-reliability enables freedom. And ultimately, the state will take both from you in the form of onerous laws and excessive taxation, which always lead to a police state. The more laws there are, the more the people are the enemy of the state. And whenever the state promises something is free, free money, free healthcare, free roads, just remember, Tonstoffel, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. You pay for what the government wants. One way or another, you pay for it because the government sure won't. I love this book. I read it at least once a year. Uh, sometimes if I need something to read on a car trip, I'll listen to it on Audible. Um, if you go the Audible route, get the version narrated by Lloyd James. I, I, I swear I read this one through in his voice. His narration is outstanding. Heinlein is a giant in science fiction for a reason. But he's also an important political author. He just hides the politics against the backdrop of sci-fi. But if you want to grok the politics of a revolution and why self-determination, self-reliability, and freedom are so necessary to life, read The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. I love this book. It's, it's amazing. And that's it for this week. Thank you so much for watching, and I will see you guys next Sunday. Happy New Year!